Welcome to today's CIT Tech for Business podcast. Today we're sitting down with Todd, Nate, Matthew, as well as the marketing team, Tara, and myself, Kelsey. And we're sitting down to talk about the Federal Trade Commission, FTC, everybody's favorite acronym, Safeguards Rule. We're kicking it off with a little icebreaker. This one's going to be quick, straight, to the point. What was the last song that you listened to? Who was it by? No explanation needed. I'm going to go first. If I had to pull up, I was halfway through listening to Chasing Gold by Passenger. That's the last thing on my Apple Music. I'm going to kick it over to Tara. Go, girl. My last one was a song by Shenandoah, an old country band um, called um, Song of the South. Never heard it. How about you, Todd? Uh, Sat by the Ocean by Queens of the Stone Age. How about you, Nate? Uh, Hell Breaks Loose by Impending Doom. <laughs> the Friday vibes, I love it. How about you, Matthew? Uh, I have been listening to a lot of pop lately, so it was probably uh, Morbid Stuff or Matilda. I see that we're setting the vibes very positive for this conversation, <laughs> yeah. so I really appreciate it. But awesome. why don't we kick it off with what are we talking about? What is it? Anybody? Todd? Sure. I, I love talking. Why not start with me? Um, <laughs> so the FTC safeguard rules, they, they've been around for a very long time. Um, reason why we're bringing it up this this particular instance is because there is kind of a, a, a looming deadline, if you will. So there were some revisions that were done late last year. I think it was around October timeframe. And um, once those were introduced or revised, there is a, a bit of a grace period, if you will, the between here's what you should be doing and actually implementing it. And so um, really what it is, it's, it's, a, it's a handful of rules and guidance that the FTC is putting out for organizations to abide by and get those in place. Um, as I mentioned, there is a deadline coming up, which is the end of this year. Um, so the compliant date is December 9th of 2022. And uh, that, that's the, the basis of it, but I can let anybody expand on that if they'd like to. I think uh, December 9th is the big part there. It's uh, looming. Uh, I, I'd say maybe just for those that are listening, maybe they don't know it. You know, number one, what the Federal Trade Commission is or who's managed by them. Um, Todd or Matthew, do you want to maybe just help explain, you know, who does this even potentially affect? I'll take the first pass. I mean, so so essentially what the FTC is really trying to do is any organization that they consider to be financial institutions and people will naturally gravitate towards banks and it does include the banks. But it is a bit broader than that, too. There are a lot of different non-bank industries as well. So that could be, you know, basically anybody that's pulling credit information on individuals. So you can look at your mortgage lenders, your car dealerships, um, payday lenders, tax preparers, check cashing, collection agencies, um, credit unions that are not managed by or backed by the the government. Um, and I think real estate appraisers at just a, a high level, I think there are plenty of others that are under there as well. Um, so basically, if they can gather your personal information as they're trying to vet whether or not you are someone they want to lend money to or doing any kind of financial stuff, those are the people that are typically finding the guidance that is outlined by the FTC. Yeah, that's 
exactly how I would have phrased it. So now we got that particular piece out of the way. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to laugh, but but the, hopefully I nailed it in one. Um, <laughs> as we said, there's a couple of reasons why we care. One is the big one is the looming deadline is coming. And so a lot of organizations are starting to actually, uh, I guess I should back up just briefly. We just, for this purpose of this podcast, it is early September. And so... When I say organizations are starting to go, okay, wow, that deadline is coming up extremely quickly. That's why it's coming up really, really fast. And some organizations are going, I know I needed to do it, but now the rubber's hitting the road and I need to to kind of figure out where do I go from here. Um, so some highlights of, I just kind of wanted to walk through a little bit of, I mentioned there are guidelines. Matthew, do you want to expend on what those are for the real brief one? You can talk about the nine items. Yeah, definitely. There's obviously... A lot that goes into these but thankfully there's there's been quite a few a, a very useful uh bit of information provided that kind of breaks them down into nine distinct sections so uh, i'll just go through that list and we'll expand upon them later uh the first one is that you must have a designated qualified individual uh you must complete a risk assessment you must design and implement safeguards uh, you must regularly monitor and test the effectiveness of those safeguards. Uh, you must train your staff. You must monitor your service providers. You must keep your information security program current. You must create a written incident response plan. And you must require your qualified individual to report to the board of directors or the highest uh, members of the team. Yeah. I think one of the things to think about there is for those that are in this industry already and you're already familiar with it, that's not wildly different than what every security professional has been telling uh, organizations over the last 10, 20 years, right? You know, it's the same stuff. Security is all about blocking and tackling the basics. Um, <laughs> it's just putting a little bit more structure to it. And so if these are items right now that you've already said, wow, I'm doing a lot of those ones, you're going to be set up for that deadline. Um, unfortunately, we do know that there are a lot of organizations that simply put a lot of this stuff on the back burner, even though they are touching extremely sensitive data. Um, and, and so it's just one of those ones where, keep in mind, it's not wildly new. It's just more structure to it. And um, Matthew and I were you know, reading through the FTC final rule when this came out. It's actually really interesting. There's a lot of good discussion and advice coming out saying, yes, there were concerns regarding this. However, the the benefits outweigh the risk. So you, you just got to go move forward. So um, if you haven't given it a chance to read, that's a great weekend reading. Um, but they do take a lot of considerations before pushing this out. And like I said, it's not anything new. So uh, good read. Do you remember how many pages it is? Not enough. I think more than 10,000. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I stopped counting at seven and just kept reading. Yeah, <laughs> so. I think for whatever reason, the number 198 room, uh, sticks in my head, but that might have been a different guideline that I was thinking <laughs> of. Um, so I, I, a couple of things that I wanted to kind of reiterate exactly what Nate said. I'm just basically mim mimicking him because what he said was incredibly brilliant. Um, 
But a few things is if you are under the FTC, there are a lot of organizations that I outlined, right? And and unfortunately, a lot of those are mid to small size businesses. And so it may be easy for a big organization. Um, one that comes to mind is, is GM. In fact, GM is actually talking to a lot of their dealers and saying, this is something that's been out there. You do need to become compliant before the end of the year. And if you're looking at a lot of those dealers, they're not going to be all that large. Some of them are going to be big, some are not going to be nearly as big, and they may have a hard time finding budgets and whatnot. Uh, oddly enough, um, the NADA actually put out a really nice document that kind of outlines, here's what you could anticipate spending. So, so that information has been out there for well over a year, and it's been available for people like the dealers to kind of go, okay, I have an idea of what my spend could potentially look like. Um, some of the numbers are good. Some of the numbers are off. A little high here, a little low there. In the end, um, it can be a lot depending on where you stand on where things are at today. But it is really good stuff. The other part about it that Nate mentioned is this is kind of core IT security. And it has been for years. You, you can talk about the NIST framework or others. But I'll even simplify it a little bit further is if you're getting cybersecurity insurance, Again, a direct parallel, the things that they're asking for here, and, and I would anticipate we'll see more of that over the next couple of ye weeks, years, um, aligns perfectly with what they're outlining. And, and Matthew ran through what those particular items were. Um, so all of that's in there. I, I know I talked a lot, so I'll pause for a minute and let the other guys talk. Before, Matthew, before you jump in, maybe I was talking about what a designated qualified individual is. And, you know, actually starting the, the meat and potatoes of this conversation, I did pull it up. Uh, luckily, it's not 198 pages. It's only 43. So short, short, short story instead of novel. So yeah, easy weekend reading. Yeah, <laughs> good and, bedtime uh, story as well. The uh, the final rule, especially uh, you mentioned the NADA. Uh, a lot of the comments that are in there in that final rule, uh, the NADA was was fighting for these conversations and for some of these distinctions. So it's it's really nice to see the the organizations in there having those thoughts and how they were implemented as well. Uh, tying in with that, um, to jump kind of right into it and and after those that overview, I think we're ready. Uh, let's talk about a designated qualified individual, the, the first of these nine. Um, I'll just talk for a little bit. Uh, <laughs> what is it? It's, it's whatever you want it to be, uh, not quite. Um, it's someone who is aware of and knows the industry and specifically knows your industry and then knows how that correlates with the work that you have to do. Uh, there is a lot of information in that final rule of people arguing about what it should and shouldn't be. Uh, thankfully, the the FTC in this ruling didn't didn't make any requirements of what that person has to be. They don't have to have certain degrees. They don't have to have a certain role within the company. They just need to be someone who understands the sector and understands the the rule, which means that you probably already have someone in the organization who is aware of it. But one of the biggest things that they've done, I believe, is allowed for external individuals, people from a service provider, uh, to assist and be that designated individual for you. So assuming that you have a designated individual, what does an organization do? Is it simply just mentioning who that individual is in their policy and procedures or is it more simple than that you just say in the policy procedure that person exists and then outside of that you you designate whoever that is and you work it into something else like uh, the incident response plan that we haven't quite got to yet 
Yeah, um, within the uh, information security program, uh, you'll definitely want to have a list of everyone, uh, the specific roles that are done, uh, the specific roles within the company, within the security team, et cetera. This would just be one of them, and the individual would be listed there. And again, they don't have to be, this isn't just their only job. They, they can have additional things that they complete as well. And again, it can be an external person. If you're, if you're using a VCIO or a VCI, uh, VC, so those roles can complete this as well. I think just for the sake of continuing discussion regarding the qualified individual, I know this was number nine on kind of the list of, <laughs> you know, since we're talking about who should they be, maybe now what we should talk about is what should they be doing? Because before you go, you know, type up the quick email to someone internally and say, by the way, you're a qualified individual and send it off. Um, we should probably talk about actually some of the criterias. Um, so the qualified individual, they're going to be working with your board of directors or senior leadership. Um, but essentially, they must be providing written reports to the board annually. Um, and you know, if, like I mentioned, if you don't have a board of directors, these are the senior officials responsible for the information security program. Um, again, that could be a, a VCSO reporting to your team, whatever it is, right? But a um, couple of things that they need to cover. And uh, again, these are the basics of the information security is the overall assessment of compliancy within the organization, right? Are you compliant or not? Are you doing your risk assessments, which is a little bit further up because we're going now out of order, doing some risk assessments, uh, risk management and the decisions in order to control some of those, you know, what are the updates and changes to your vendor uh, contracts, that kind of stuff. What's the latest results of these security audits and tests that are being conducted today? Um, have you had any security incidents and what's been the response to that as well? And if there's any recommendations and changes to the network. So this is truly someone that needs to understand a lot of what's going on inside of the business. Again, this you can't just go picking a random person today. So. <laughs> that is a very good point. Um, oh. the, the person needs to definitely be prepared. Uh, <laughs> there is There can be a lot of stress with some of those meetings. So you want someone who's comfortable doing that. And then, like you said, Nate, understanding internally what's going on, as well as having the ability to explain that clearly and concisely is incredibly important because the the overall sign-off of the plan of everything is made by the board or that senior leadership team. So firstly, you can't report to yourself. You can't just assign yourself as the qualified individual and then say, great job, me. Um, <laughs> you, you've got to be reporting to someone else. Uh, and then, yeah, it's, it's ensuring that that's all kept kept organized and planned. Uh, there was a lot of items that we'll get to in there as well, if anything was that we kind of breezed over. It didn't, didn't quite make sense yet. I think the, yeah, one thing I'd ahead, throw on there, I'm sorry. Uh, one thing I'll throw in is I, I just wanted to highlight this is when you look at security programs and ultimately that's what this is. The, the qualified individual, you may say you have such and such requirements and we're going to hold you accountable for that. But ultimately, Matthew just said this, the the program itself, its success, its failure, that does rest on the board of directors shoulders or your shareholders, whatever the case may be. So while you can assign some responsibilities and hold those individuals to it, 
ultimately it's that senior portion of the business that's ultimately culpable, if you will. So keep that in mind as we're going through this. The the one last thing I'd say, and maybe then Matthew, you can talk about the risk assessments and you know what organizations need to do there is for that qualified individual, I would just urge customers to not just throw it to the most technical person on the team. The reason why I say that, and this is not a dig to any technical people because they are extremely smart and um, IT professionals that have strong emotional intelligence that can communicate extremely effectively as well. But there's a reason why jokes exist that IT people can't communicate well, right? But so find someone that has strong emotional intelligence, influence within the organization as an effective communicator, because if they are talking to the board of directors who are influencing those major changes to the organization, they need to be able to help be the quarterback for those initiatives. So, so that's the last thing I had. So Matthew. <laughs> Thanks, Nate. Uh, so risk assessments. Um, I feel like we got quite a, a good bit of, of guidance from the FTC on these ones. Uh, they they make it very clear that these aren't risk assessments as maybe you're used to seeing. Uh, there is a real focus on the well, I suppose I should back up a second and explain what a risk assessment is, shouldn't I? Um, <laughs> so first things first, you're looking at risks within the company that could potentially impact uh, customer data. So things that could happen that could cause customer data to be unavailable or uh, shared when it shouldn't be uh, comp uh, destroyed or altered when it's already in its in a form where it shouldn't be. So that's the things we're trying to find as risks. And what they want you to do is they want you to explain these risks as thoroughly as possible and then say what you're doing to either eliminate those risks or why you've accepted those risks as something that has to be possible. Uh, there is a good example of this would be uh, natural disasters. You know, there is only so much you can do to limit the impact of an earthquake to the destruction of, of a physical server. That's still a risk though. And so you want to do everything you can to limit that. And these risk assessments are about going through everything that you have, all the customer data you have, where that's stored, what hardware or it's stored in, what software accesses it, breaking down these risks, and then explaining what you're doing to mitigate it or what you will do in the future to mitigate it further. So just kind of going back through this so everybody is conscious, consciously making sense on what the steps look like. Step one is making sure you have that qualified individual assigning those roles and responsibilities. Step two is taking that assessment and saying, where do we have potential areas of concern? The next step being finding out and designing what those controls are to start to mitigate those risks. And there are various levels of mitigation. In some cases, you may be able to completely mitigate the risk, unplugging a device from the internet, <laughs> risk is probably mostly <laughs> mitigated. There are some other things you may want to consider. Um, but as you keep going through those, those are going to be the standard things that we're looking for across the board. And again, this is that foundational stuff that Nate was talking about before. It's making sure your hard drives are encrypted, making sure that you have security cameras on the building and that your, your um, critical data is in locked locations, those types of things. Uh, MFA, we're going to pound on it over and over again. If you're watching any of the CIT podcasts, you're going to hear MFA over and over again. Multi-factor authentication, huge deal. 
endpoint detection and response, huge deal. Those are the types of safeguards that we're looking for to implement per our conversations and our investigation through that risk assessment. And uh, we're just about to jump into those in, in greater detail in this podcast too. <laughs> so the, uh, um, but yes, I agree. There's, there's making sure that you have covered as much as possible on where those risks come from within your organization. And that's that's step two. That's the the second thing on that list. Uh, did anyone have anything anything else? Anything I missed? I'd say maybe the the one thing that I'd quick talk about. And this goes a little bit into the risk assessment and the design and implement um, safeguards. Is if you're not familiar with the concept of the CIA triad, this is really the core of what security is. And so taking it into consideration as you're doing this. Um, so I'll just give a brief description of what it is. And, you know, I, I know we're going to have to hit a part two of this uh, whole podcast, but um, as you're doing these risk analysis and starting to plan out what safeguards you need, really there's three concepts that you really need to take into consideration is the confidentiality, which is, is the customer sensitive data accessible only by those that are authorized or the services that are authorized to see that data or interact with it? the integrity of the data has it been altered or misused or anything like that right it's the data that should be in there has not been tampered with and then the availability of the data this is if the data is necessary to perform businesses is it disrupted right a server offline something like that you know so as we start thinking about that or you know as you're waiting for you know a series two of this podcast to come out keep thinking about how can the data be um, leaked, which affects the confidentiality, the integrity, how can it be misused, and then the availability, how can it be um, disrupted? So, yeah. For this podcast, we've been talking about it as what the FTC is asking organizations to do. And so in this case, it's almost all exclusively customer data. Um, But as you're thinking about this, and we're talking about security broadly, that confidentiality, integrity, availability applies to any critical data in an organization. So if that's your financial data or other, that that triad still is applicable across the board. Agreed. If you guys uh, don't mind, I wanted to um, kind of pose a question. So we're talking about all of these like steps that they have to complete, but what if they don't? Are there any Anything that need to be worried about, fines, you know, things of that nature? Yes. <laughs> Great. What does that <laughs> mean? <laughs> Excellent question. Um, we haven't reached the deadline yet, so what the implications are exactly is, is a little bit to be determined. Um, that being said, I, again, I'm going to be really vague. Typically, if you're going through implementing a security program, more often than not, there is a process of maturing that out. Very rarely is anybody expected to get everything in place immediately. That being said, um, as mentioned earlier, the safeguard rules, they've they've literally been in place for 19 years. They've just been uh, adapted over the years. So it's not new. The expectation is some of this is in place. You should be training your employees. You should have MFA. And again, if you're getting insurance, you probably have most of these things. So assuming that you're actually started down the path of getting a foundation in place, starting to mature, it may be 
expected that the FTC, and again, I'll, I'll reference back to GM as a great example. GM is going to their dealers and they say, you must be compliant by year end. So if you're looking at it in totality, they're saying, get it all done before December, what did I say, the 9th? Get it done. That That's not optional as far as GM is concerned. The implications is the FTC could audit anybody. And when they audit and they find you in non-compliant, those fines can be significant, and I mean multi-million dollar significant. Yeah, I'll say, well, obviously we don't have any specifics about this yet um, on on what they could be. If anyone's seen the the PCI non-compliance fines to to get up, they they're definitely not something to to laugh at or throw off. It's and 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 on on that even, you want to be this secure. It is right. better to be this secure. Yeah, I'm going to throw a slight tangent alert on there. We don't have our sounder yet, but we'll we'll get one. Um, <laughs> as you're seeing things come, and I, I think we've talked about compliance to a degree on one of our other ones like the SEC, but I see more and more of this coming. If you look at last year where the, the Biden administration put in executive orders saying do this, the government means business they're not kidding around anymore so if you look at the eu as an example of where things are going and matthew mentioned um what'd you say pci pci yeah so if you look at pci gdpr is the europeans version of a privacy compliance they are not messing around either so at that level they are leveling massive fines just absolutely ridiculously large sums of money so I would absolutely take it serious. I would say if there's anything holding you back and and it, you're not really sure, that is looming. Now, there there may be some kind of risk assessment you make of saying, are they coming or are they not? If you can avoid massive fines for investing some money, man, I'd, I'd seriously consider that. The, the last comment that I'd have, and this is just for um, kind of, tangential compliance policies, right? So, uh, you know, take it with a little bit of grain of salt because not everyone's going to fall into these ones, but like the FDIC final rule, if you read that, uh, there's concerns about the cost to implement stuff like that. The FDIC, FDIC final rule just says, you have to do it. I'm sorry. We've already taken those considerations into place. You just have to do it. Moving on. Um, we've helped customers, PCI, if they're non-compliant, $10,000 per day that they can be uh, fined, right? It's extremely expensive. So while that's not specific to FTC, there are similar policies that you can reference back on uh, for a little bit additional insight to take a look at the severity and um, focus that Todd was mentioning that they have to ensure compliance. Thank you all. And as we mentioned before in the podcast, there will be a part two. Obviously, we didn't make it through all nine items because time management, we love to talk. We don't quite get there. But on that super heavy note of better safe than sorry and spending a ton of money, we're going to leave it off there. We'll pick it back up. But if you guys have direct questions that you want to hear answered as part of part two, by all means, reach out. You can email us at info at net dot com or head on out to our website cit-net.com backslash podcast we'll make sure to get those questions in front and i want to give a shout out we do have an upcoming episode on email security because that was a listener asked topic so by all means we get your emails we're getting those we're getting a ton of content out there we're going to try to get both ftc episodes published in short form so we can get all of this wrapped up 
well before December 9th so you all know what's going down by the deadline. But we will chat with you all next week.